When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Ducks Confidential Podcast. I am James Crepia, joined, of course, by Ryan Clark as we uh, chronicle and cover all things uh, related to the Ducks in this uh, mid-February. Well, now we're heading towards late February, Ryan, and uh, the basketball yeah, season's uh, <laughs> beginning to wind down uh, on both fronts and obviously a tough year uh, for both the men's and women's basketball teams. We'll get into that here momentarily and uh, and take a look ahead as the spring sports uh, get underway baseball and softball get their season started uh, so that's be kind of the main focus areas uh, for edition, this edition of the podcast uh, starting with uh, uh, the men's basketball side of things uh, first Ryan uh, obviously the loss to Washington State while strictly on its face losing to Washington State in and of itself is not a bad thing and splitting the season series is not a bad thing it's that because of the missed opportunity that was uh, that obviously has put the Ducks in a tough spot they turn around and have a win at Oregon State that for the third year in a row becomes for Oregon's perspective unnecessarily difficult uh, (laughs) they have a a comfortable lead that looks like the game is very much in hand Uh, fans are literally headed for the exits uh, and it turns into quite the uh, quite the nail biter in the final couple of minutes Uh, and they survive with uh, a literal literal last second uh, dunk by Infali Dante uh, to get the win there and now they head to the Bay Area your thoughts on uh, the last couple of weekends that have been uh, for the Ducks who find themselves uh, yet again in this position where it's February, it's late February, and we're talking about not, you know well on the outside looking in at the bubble. And obviously every game is a must win. And as far as our, at large is concerned, it's, it's probably over just being realistic uh, about yeah. it. But, uh, but nevertheless, you know, a team that, given the schedule ahead of it outside of the Arizona game in terms of the remaining games, it's possible to catch some fire here like they did a few years back where, you know, again, we can, once they get to the tournament, we can actually talk about whether or not they're capable of winning it, but they are talented enough uh, to certainly win all of their remaining games, maybe even at Arizona. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, this has obviously been an up and down stretch and one that, you know, has, has basically torpedoed their opportunity to, to be in that bubble conversation. But um, at the same time, I, I feel like Oregon is one of those teams, given the the lack of quality in the Pac-12 overall this year, that could absolutely make a run deep into the Pac-12 tournament. And at this point, just based on the last few weeks and how they've gone, they really do have to win it if they want to really have a chance of getting into the NCAAs. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's been finishing games has, has been a, a trend that has has popped up over the last several weeks, really. That Oregon State game being a good example. I mean, they had a solid enough lead down the stretch and, and allowed it to, to get to the situation where Infali Dante had to, of course, have that game winning dunk at the end there. But um it's it's interesting it's it's been a, a couple years in a row of this now right to be in that sort of semi bubble conversation and and 
it it feels like a sort of plateauing right now, despite sort of the talent I think that that Oregon has has had on the court over the last couple of years. I think that you know by and large they are one of the more talented teams in the Pac-12 conference, and you know we're not at the point of completely writing them off by any means and their ability to, to make a run in the Pac-12 tournament, as we said, is, is very much a possibility, but I don't know. It, it just feels like there has been this sort of uh, last couple of years, um, the, the a plateauing maybe of the, the program's ability to consistently get into the tournament, make some noise, uh, and, and do what it had done in previous years. Yeah. It's, it, it's been tough in that while this season, so far, uh, the results are such to where they find themselves, I mean, as of today, as of uh, we're recording here the afternoon of Wednesday the 21st, uh, they find themselves 63rd in the net, uh, which is not the least bit surprising. Again, they opened up for the past two weeks. The week would begin. They would be 61st. Uh, they would, uh, because of the games elsewhere, Oregon would you know drop a spot or two because of wins that are going on elsewhere in the country. And then, again, if they beat Oregon State, they go back to 61. We'll see what happens when they play in the Bay Area. But the point is they've kind of stalled here the last couple of weeks just because of the, the math at this point, uh, which is why we've said for some time that especially the loss against Wazoo was so detrimental because they just didn't have the opportunities to overcome this. This was expected. To the bigger picture, as you're addressing, Ryan, that, yeah, it's been a little, uh, to say the least, a little um, disappointing in that this was a team that, no, I don't care what their net ranking is uh, relative to a year ago or two years ago. This is objectively a, a more talented and better team than it was last year or two years ago. Uh, yeah, the, it's a better mix of like veteran guys, guys that have been around college basketball, and then I mean, obviously talented young players that are coming into the program. Jackson Shellstad's been like at times a revelation this year. Somebody that I think is is going to be a really strong player for this program for a long time. So to have that, to have guys like Jermaine Kuznard and Fali Dante and other veteran guys mixed in with with uh, somebody like that, and and everybody else that they've had in their rotation when they've been healthy. Now, now that's obviously a secondary consideration that they've had a few injuries that have really hampered their ability to truly show off the talent of the roster. Nate Biddle, obviously, and more news coming from from him this week, or I guess lack thereof, uh, given given the um, you know nature of that situation. But yeah, it's it's it is strange. I think, and you make a good point that this is one of their more talented rosters in the last couple of years. Yeah, look, they could. They could still finish. They are right now in the top four in the league, and they could still finish in the top four in the league. And again, we, we understand, as Ryan mentioned it, as we talked about in the last edition of the podcast, look, this is a bad league. This is a really bad league. And that's in part why all the games that they have left remaining are winnable games because, yes, I mean, mathematically, not just because, oh, mathematically, until it's over. No, look, mathematically, they could win this league. That's how ridiculous this league is. Um, you know, they, this is a team that we can talk about how their defense has been an issue all year, injury or not, youth or not. It's been a problem, uh, and that's been what's held them back, quite frankly, along with the injuries. But the defense, mainly, if they were playing better defensively, uh, it would be less of an issue. The injuries, yes, also a huge factor. But ultimately, this is still a team who is, if anything, achieving, given its constraints, Basically what it's quote-unquote supposed to, yeah, maybe there's supposed to be one or two games that they could have, would have, should have had, but they're two games back of Arizona for first place. 
Um, you know, you compare the the talent, the injuries, the issues to, frankly, some teams who, sh- you know, probably feel like they should be ahead of Oregon, uh, given their relative issues and concerns. Look, UCLA is a team who's right there with them, uh, obviously uh, beat Oregon uh, at Poly Pavilion. And that team got a whole lot better and a whole lot healthier. And they were dealing with some injuries. Colorado is a team with more uh, high-end talent, uh, probably more future NBA players, uh, certainly Cody Williams being among them. And they're ahead of Oregon in the net. We'll see where they finish relative to the standings. They still have to play again uh, at Matthew Knight Arena. But point is, is for as many issues as this team has had, Relative to itself from the past two years that also, unfortunately, were derailed in part by injury, they are a better team. They could finish better in the league standings. They could have a better record. And we'll still see what the postseason looks like. We you know, certainly feel like they have a very, very difficult road to get to the NCAA tournament. Maybe it is the third straight year in the NIT, and we understand that's obviously disappointing for everyone involved. None more than Dana Altman and the players. However... Uh, they are still in the big picture of, of the program and the like. I mean, you can't I, I would not look at this and say they've become stagnant or some of the issues that were in place two years ago or last year that some of the things haven't gotten better. The results haven't been there in part because of what we talked about, because mainly injury more than anything. And yes, the defense undoubtedly has to be better. But with the pieces that they have, I mean, you saw it with Oregon State. I mean, they're down to eight scholarship guys, and they've been down to eight scholarship guys or seven at times at multiple points this season. And you know, it's not excusing the youth, but I thought what Dana Allman had to say this week about, hey, like, you know, this is just a matter of being objectively fair here. How does he yeah. feel about the freshman? He thinks both, you know, Shellstad and Kwame Evans Jr. have done really good jobs. But, but you got to call what it is when they are going up against multiple times. Guards who are, or in the case of Evans, forwards, who are fourth or fifth or potentially even sixth year players and they're true freshmen, you know, the idea, the plan, the the overarching, you know, the blueprint back in October and early November before everything got to where we got to was for both of these guys to be coming off the bench. You know, again, go back and look at the starting lineup. It's it's Gallo's humor that, that Altman's brought up the last couple of weeks, but Take a look at the starting lineup for the Georgia game in the opener. And yes, Shellstad wasn't available, but okay, even if he was, maybe, maybe he does start over Bartholomew. But Bartholomew's heavily in the mix. Bill yeah, was and he starting was having a great stretch of, I mean, Bartholomew was playing really well for those few games before he got hurt, right. too. So, like, yeah, been, he would have been huge his, for his absence. Right arguably, is as impactful as not having Biddle is, and it, and it is very, very impactful. But in terms of causing uh, uh, chaos to the rotation and, and because of how they then have to play with the, the remaining parts they have left, the loss of Bartholomew has been the bigger issue the last few weekends because without a secondary ball handler and true point guard, you're stuck having to lean on Shellstad for 35 plus minutes a night. And you could say like, well, he's physically capable. It's not a matter of, of doing yeah, it's it's a thing where like you know that bleeds into his defense yeah, too, like inevitably. It like it, he's already having trouble, right. you know, because he, he's a freshman. It's it's hard to guard fifth and sixth year players like you were saying care, I, when you're an eighteen year old. I don't care if you're yeah. all American. I don't care if you're a junior or a senior. When you start playing north of thirty minutes into the game, 
you're going to have some deficiencies that come through, some fatigue that comes through on defense. And asking a guy, a young guy, who is physically outsized, who may not be as big as, as fast as, and certainly not as experienced as any number of the guards he's gone up against across the Pac-12, and to then say, oh, well, you know, whatever you may be bringing offensively, on the nights that it's good, uh, isn't that great? And on the nights that it's bad, what's wrong with you? Uh, and oh, by the way, defense. I mean, you, that's just not being fair. It's just yeah, it's it's hard. And and the unfortunate thing, too, is that, you know, this Oregon team has pieces that I think are like extremely positive contributors defensively. Like Dante is the obvious one. But I think in terms of like physicality and, you know, maybe the numbers don't always line up to that for him. But, you know, Kuznard's a guy that has that physicality and experience that could could make them a really strong defensive team. And unfortunately, like the injuries to to Biddle, the injury to Bartholomew, who I, I think was, you you know good in both starting and reserve roles for them um on both ends obviously more much more so on offense and defense but either way like just the lack of depth it 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 affects everything it's one of those things that you know it it hurts you in your ability to consistently score the ball and then obviously defensively when your guys are having to play bigger minutes that's just it's brutal no doubt and look the Bartholomew Dante, uh, they've been the guys who carried this team on both ends all season when they've been healthy. I mean, Dante, when he's been healthy, Jermaine's been, been healthy the whole way. Uh, but Jermaine is, I mean, for as, for as much of a leader as Dante is on this team uh, when he is there, but because he has missed such a significant portion of the team, uh, of, the team of the season, Kuznard has carried this team. Uh, and on, again, on both ends. And the third piece on the defensive end, who I think brings something different, and particularly when he plays well defensively, which is frankly more often than not, um, is a really central piece, is Jatrian Tracy. And again, he's being asked to play at the four, which they don't want to do. They don't objectively, like that is not the desire. It's they have no other options. If you're trying to rotate uh, Kwame Evans uh, Jr. into the four, whether he was starting or coming off the bench at the four, when you're doing that, at times you're trying to put Tracy more at the three and then allow for the guard rotation to rotate enough to where you can get Shellstad a couple of blows throughout the game. And you know you're still looking at north of 30 minutes. But you're trying to get uh, Brennan Rigsby in there and Cario Quindo in there in the guard rotation uh, specifically and at forward and at center. Yeah, what what other options do you have with Biddle down uh, in particular if you're trying to rotate Kwame in and out and get him into the 20-ish minute a night uh, area? And obviously lean on Dante where, again, Altman's been very frank. He doesn't want to play him 35 minutes. He, he's, he's already feels like it's stretched at right around 30. Uh, and at this point, it may start to go up ever so slightly, not just because of lack of depth, but because... As Dana mentioned the other day, hey, uh, he's actually been back now for about 10 or 11 games. And now it's like he's starting to get into actual game shape. So even though here we are in late February, as far as Infali Dante is concerned, Infali Dante is back in December because he missed nine weeks. So that's where, unfortunately, like I say, this is how, how does the season get to where it gets to? Uh, again, for those who have been watching on the blow by blow, we've certainly given it to you a bit. Um, but this is where this team finds itself. Having said all those things, they head to the Bay Area where they can absolutely beat 
Stanford and Cal. Now, Stanford, I think, is the bigger challenge, not just because they're slightly ahead in the net rankings. Um, I think Stanford is a particular challenge because of their length, their experience, uh, and their three-point shooting ability. Now, Stanford's defense is not going to uh, be winning at very many games <laughs> because yeah. it's, it's de- it's some of its, uh, its defensive field goal percentage numbers are, are uh, uh, awfully appealing for opponents. But, uh, but boy, oh boy, when you've got seven players shooting over 35% from three, three of whom are shooting over 40% from three, um, yeah, they may not have shot very well in their recent loss to Washington. But as Dana said, you know, he looked at, you know, he was watching back at that game. Yeah, they don't shoot well, but they have about a dozen threes that are just playing really good shots. And okay, they lose the game and they miss that night. But as you're preparing to play a team like that, you can't expect a team with that many 40 plus percent shooters to miss like that at home against you. Uh, Now, Oregon has, for all of its defensive woes, uh, Oregon's perimeter defense uh, and three point shooting defense has actually been uh, one of the best in the league. So that's really, you want to talk about strength on strength. uh, While Oregon's defense isn't a particular strength, it's three point defense is awfully good. Uh, yeah, the Washington uh, game was a great example of that. I remember they, um, I mean, obviously a high, higher scoring game than their recent ones, 85-80 Ducks. But, you know, the the three-point shooting, you know, just maybe Washington doesn't necessarily have the same type of personnel uh, and ability on, on the outside as Stanford does. But still, Oregon holding them to 4 of 21, 19%. I mean, that's that's an excellent day at the office for them, despite the obvious issues that they had defensively pretty much everywhere else in that game. So, you know, that if you, if you can maintain that and you can continue to, to shut teams down on the perimeter and, and play the game that you want to play at Stanford rather than letting them dictate the game, which unfortunately can happen and has happened for the ducks. And some of these losses is allowing their opponents to sort of dictate the pace of the game. Um, and then I think they'll be okay. And I think the, both of these games, Stanford and Cal, like you said, are, are definitely winnable. Um, and I, and you know, going down the stretch, even the one at Arizona, uh, and then the mountain schools at home, like I, I, there is absolutely a scenario where I think that the ducks could win out and be in really strong shape going into the PAC 12 tournament and even potentially have a chance to, to get that top spot in the conference. It's a much harder road for the ladder, obviously now because of those slip ups, but look, they, they are absolutely still in the mix. I, I, you know, we, we started out talking about the, the sort of idea of plateauing and the idea of, of them sort of squandering their opportunities and all that, is is true on its face right now but you know that's the power of the results right that's the power of of being able to take care of your business and and maybe give yourself a chance yeah i i think it obviously like it's not just coach speak or all the other stuff look for it's one of those like first things first let them sweep the bay area trip which as we all know is not a matter of oh some daunting home crowd scenario for either either game and that they now I, I've been at uh, losses at Stanford for Oregon. So I'm, it's, I'm not acting as though it is impossible. Uh, but Oregon has historically done well in the Bay Area. Uh, let them get through this weekend with a sweep. Let them put together and actually win three straight games, which for, for those who may have forgotten, uh, it's been a minute because 
yes, as we've pointed out, this team at points looked like it could catch some fire, but for weeks now, it has been this yo-yo act of one step forward, two steps back, or one step forward, one step back, and here's a win, and oh, they looked good in that particular win, and then they follow it up with a loss. Uh, they have to actually string some wins together now. You know, the last time this team had back-to-back wins was back at the new year. And that's when we were feeling, you know, when everybody was feeling awfully good about things. You know, they closed the year really well. <laughs> they beat the LA schools before New Year's. They beat the Washington schools to open up New Year's. Like, think that was when they had their win streak. It's been, you know, basically win-loss every weekend since. Um, so let them sweep here and then get a home game with Oregon State, which we understand is a, you know, yes, it was just played close, but Oregon dominated that game for 35 minutes and they're going to be at home and et cetera. If they can assemble and put together at that point three or four game win streak entering Arizona, then let's see where they are in the net. Let's see where they are in the league standings. Let's see how big that game at Arizona is, not just because it's one of the last times or the last time in league play they'll be going to the McHale Center, but, you know, uh, whatever it may carry in terms of the league standings because Arizona plays Washington State this weekend. Um, you know, yeah. so we'll see who gets the you know who gets the win and the benefit of that and the like. But until we get to there, uh, don't want to put the car too far before the horse of, of this Oregon <laughs> yeah. men's basketball season, which has been difficult. Um, but as we've outlined, uh, for as difficult as it has been, they do find themselves in a at least solid enough position to finish in the top four in the league, get the first round by, avoid playing Arizona until the conference final. That's probably the biggest part. It's not just top four, really finishing second or third, but. We'll see what this weekend bears in terms of the Bay Area trip and then obviously the uh, the midweek game against Oregon State before the trip to Tucson. But uh, shifting gears to the women's program, Ryan, um, things that we most definitely do not have to uh, discuss, unfortunately, for, for this team and this program at the moment are its uh, bubble situation or contending for uh, the NCAA tournament. That is way way off the table um, and completely and utterly gone and has been um, in a realistic world. There was there, there was never a chance of it at all this season. Um, but even for those who are holding out the most hope imaginable, uh, that is very much done. Now the questions become about, uh, as we brought up in the last edition of the podcast, we, we started to uh, lay the table and uh, set the table for the conversation that we are starting to now have, which is where does this program go from here? Whatever it does in the last remaining games of the regular season or however long it lasts in the Pac-12 tournament is moot. It's This is a team that, as we all know, went to a Final Four, the COVID year, everything got canceled. They could have, would have, should have uh, contended for, and everybody who's obviously a Ducks fan believes would have won a national championship. But in the years since, it has been... The, the real COVID season uh, where a heavily, heavily freshman laden and young team still managed to make the tournament, did not play well during the year, but managed to win a couple of games in the NCAA tournament to make you forget that they didn't play well as a freshman laden team in the COVID season. The following year, Niara Sabali and Andrea Rogers get them to the tournament but they get bounced in round one. Last year, Andy and Tahina do not manage to play well together until the very, very, very end in the WNIT. And the two of them leave, and that's where we find ourselves where we knew 
and could all recognize for those who are following the, t- the program, the team, and understand the personnel that this is going to be a rough year. In five minutes of the season, it was going to be a whole lot worse once Peyton Scott went down. And now they're in last place. And now they've lost nine straight more than any other season other than the record uh, season of 11 straight losses as they head to the Washington schools. And yeah, Ryan, as we're starting to pose the questions, as fans have been asking, frankly, for the last two seasons, I've, I've got an email box, enough, uh, enough of them, and, and, and Twitter direct messages and the like uh, to support it. All people want to know is, is, what is the future here with Kelly Graves in this program? And should it continue? Why should it continue? And many fans are yearning for and desiring for change. Yeah, it's a discussion that's that's starting to be had more and more and one that, um, you know, it's it's interesting. Obviously, the, the first time anybody had asked about that as a possibility was when you did on Sunday uh, when we were down there in Eugene for that game, the ninth straight loss for the team. Um, part of that rebuttal on the part of Graves, which obviously he's going to, you know, push back on any and all questions like that because it's it's about him and his job security. So that's that's to be expected. But uh, part of what he said was, uh, you know, he could give you a history lesson. And I think that, you know, your introduction there and discussing, you know, the the progress or I guess the the regress of the last couple of years for the program. Um, I think that was a pretty solid enough history lesson as to why those say, sort of questions we are being do that, asked. We can go through name by name by name of all the players who've been here since Sabrina and how the only one who's still here well obviously no, nobody who is still there from from that last season because frankly they, they literally can't be it or, or or they would have had to use a COVID year or something like that but everybody who's joined since I mean the five freshmen are all gone from the 2021 season and you go through line by line, I mean, you know, that aspect too. So, yes. Yeah, uh, and that was a great recruiting class. And so that that's that's a huge part of it, right, is the idea that players have transferred out. Some of that is obviously out of programs control, and there are things behind the scenes that happen between NIL and everything else that we, we don't know about and we can't even really speculate about. But by that same token, um, those players are not here. And, and the, the – um, the the chickens are coming home to roost on that front because this season has been a really difficult one for the Ducks. Obviously, there are some some bright spots. There have been some games from Chance Gray that have been exciting that she's she's put up good performances. Filipina Shea, uh, as somebody who had very little experience playing basketball, period, coming into to the year, has has turned into a really solid college center uh, and somebody that's that's using her her size and skill well in a lot of games. I mean, third leading rebounder in the country doesn't happen by accident even if some of those are just by you know by the product of being in there and and i think she even said some after one of the games sometimes the rebound just comes to me and it's like yeah she's six eight that 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 tracks but you know there have been positive moments positive you know sparks in in the stuck season but nine straight losses in pac-12 play is is it is what it is. They're at the bottom of the standings, and that's a, a standard that is well below the a standard that Kelly Graves himself would set. And so it, it does beg those questions. And, and people in the community who are longtime fans of this team want to see it succeed have asked those questions like, you know, what direction are things heading? Is is it going to rebound from this what is currently the low point? And 
you have to look at a lot of different factors. You have to look, obviously, at the transfer portal, which, you know, is is an avenue by which they can absolutely improve this roster and then at recruiting. Right now, there's only two recruits for the class of 2024, um, four-star guard and then a, an international forward, right? So two players who can make a difference and can help this team, but it's going to take a lot more than that. And frankly, we don't know behind the scenes what the level of investment looks like on the women's basketball side. We don't know um, you know, how it compares to some of their conference compatriots and, and whether Kelly Graves and company have, have potentially been passed up by some of their conference compatriots. You look at a, a program like Colorado, which was not terribly relevant in women's basketball for a time and is suddenly now um, one of the, one of the better teams in the country, Oregon state right down the road, um, you know, always in the mix, but was in a place where they were, they were lagging behind Oregon and, and have sort of done a leapfrog here. Right. So that's what fans are doing when they look around and they see these things and they are asking these questions. It's, it's not a matter of personal vendetta or vindictiveness toward graves. In fact, graves has been someone that's beloved in in the Oregon community for a while. And, you know, he had great players during the UNESCO area era, but, uh, but, those wins and, and those successes don't happen without him. So, uh, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of layers to this for sure. Yeah. And, and, and summing it up, look, call it what it is. T- t- multiple things can be true. It doesn't have to be universal. It doesn't have to be um, um, objectively all good or all bad. Everything is some kind of uh, uh, shades thereof. Kelly Graves has had the most successful tenure of any Oregon women's basketball coach um, in program history. It's brought them to, greater heights uh, at their best and had the best player or multiple players for that matter in program history. That happened. That is absolutely true. It is also absolutely true that this is far and away the worst year in his tenure. And in many analytics and many statistics, uh, the team is performing worse than not just any team he has had, but in some areas worse than many of the years before him. So yes, two things can be true. They can achieve great success Four years ago, a lifetime ago in college athletics, four and five and six years ago. I mean, think of it in the sense of we're talking about recruiting, Ryan. For a player you're trying to recruit now who's a high school junior or sophomore, you know, heading into next year, the first year in the Big Ten, they will be five years removed from the team that they thought would have won a national championship, six years removed from a Final Four. If you're going after a player who's 16 or 15 years old as a high school recruit, that player was... 11, 10, or 9 years old when, when you achieve those things. That's why I say it's a lifetime. You know, do, they, do they even know who you're talking about? Do they even remember some of the things you're referencing? Um, it, it's what have you done for me lately? And yes, did they achieve great things under Kelly Graves with Sabrina and company? Yes, they did. Uh, have they fallen off rather precipitously uh, to the point that they have gotten to now? Yes, that has also happened. Uh, so the questions are perfectly valid on all fronts. Um, we'll get into more in the spring uh, spring sports as they've just both gotten underway um, in the weeks ahead uh, as more games pick up. But uh, touching both on um, uh, baseball and softball just briefly, uh, obviously a really nice start for baseball, taking two of three uh, at the event in Texas as they come home to play Lafayette. Uh, and then now suddenly a second straight uh, home, home series with UC Santa Barbara two years in a row where the series uh, that was to be played in Southern California gets moved to Eugene. And softball, uh, 
a little bit more of a difficult start. Uh, not bad in the sense that, you know, they're, they're over 500, they're still ranked, but a couple of their losses, their losses, the, the issue was they're just not hitting with runners in scoring position. They're getting a lot of runners on. That's the good news. Uh, the bad news is they've had a struggle in getting those runners in. Uh, but they head to the Mary Nutter uh, Collegiate Classic down in Palm Springs this weekend uh, and play another uh, five games uh, against some pretty good teams as well. So hopefully for their purposes that they uh, get a little bit better results there. But so far... Uh, baseball and softball getting off to, like I say, a pretty good, a, a real nice start for baseball's purposes. A little bit of a slower start offensively for softball, but pitching has been spectacular. Uh, so with that, uh, we will certainly get into the spring sports more uh, in the weeks ahead, as I say. And uh, again, to remind folks to subscribe uh, to the Ducks Confidential, uh, pod- well, the Oregon Sports, the Oregonian Sports uh, podcast, and you'll hear Ducks Confidential along with all of the other uh, various topics, subject areas, uh, and other teams uh, from uh, the colleagues, the esteemed colleagues of Ryan and myself uh, on a day-to-day basis. And you will hear from us. Uh, most likely uh, next week uh, as we do take a look into uh, another weekend of uh, basketball and uh, another weekend of the spring sports. Uh, So with that, uh, we will bid you adieu for this week. Uh, For myself, James Creppy, and Ryan Clark, we will see you next week.